you guys would like to open to Psalm 147 in your Bible. So we had an awesome opportunity at the men's breakfast on Saturday. Um, we had some good food, some good fellowship. We got to sing to the Lord as a, just a group of godly men without any instruments, just kind of a cappella. And it was cool just to hear the voices uh, of the men just praising the Lord. That was a pretty sweet time. Um, we got to go through chapter 10 in the book of Proverbs, which was pretty sweet. And it kind of compares and contrasts the wicked and the righteous and the foolish and the wise and the ungodly and the godly. And it was sweet. It was like the unrighteous does this, the righteous does this, the wise does this, the wicked does this. So that was kind of a cool, as I think as Michael put it, it's a bunch of one-liners uh, in that chapter. So that was pretty sweet. And we got onto a discussion after the study about prayer and God's desires and our desires and maturing in the Lord and what that looks like. We looked at choosing, you know, kind of which side of the coin we choose to be on, right? Because really, as I think we talk about this it's on Psalms on Wednesday, it's, it's really our choice where we land. Um, we can choose the way of the righteous. Or we can choose the way of the, the wicked. We can choose to be wise in the Lord, or we can choose our own understanding and be foolish. <clears throat> the way of the, of, of the godly or the ungodly. So we talked about praying for things that we desire. We talked about the things that God desires. Asking in the name of Jesus. We talked about how God says you receive not because you've asked not. We talked about what we should pray for and what we shouldn't pray for. Um, you know, should we pray for a seven series BMW that was kind of brought up, or maybe it was a, a was it a Range Rover? Someone brought up like, is that okay to pray for things like that? Um, should we pray for things that we want to quote make us happy? What does that look like? Um, and we're not going to get into all that because if you want to be a part of a discussion like that, again, come to these small groups. That's why it's awesome. That's why it's special because it's kind of real talk that takes place there amongst the brothers and I'm sure amongst the sisters uh, as well. So that's the second Saturday of the month. And if you're married, come on down to the marriage ministry this Saturday and partake of the same thing. It's going to be pretty sweet. But anyway, <clears throat> as I was sitting with the, this chapter this week, um, and then on Saturday, I started to think about the topic of desires. And I like this contrasting ideas of wicked and righteousness, um, the topic of God making us, quote, happy, giving us the desires of our hearts, and things that, it was kind of more like things that bring us pleasure. Like, you know, God wants me to be happy. I should pray for things that make me happy because that makes God happy, and I can give God thanks for that. So things that bring us pleasure. So as I was going through this chapter, the Lord put on my heart this kind of contrast of things that please God versus things that please man. Um, and again, maybe that's a topic a lot of Christians and definitely unbelievers really don't think about much. What pleases God? And I think this is because we, we default to our own desires. We default to our own perceptions, our own wants, our own needs, our own, again, quote, happiness and lifestyle and comforts. It's just we default to self. So we think what pleases us is what pleases God a lot of the times. 
right? I was talking to Noah about this in the car on the way over. I'm like, what do you think pleases people? He's like, money. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a good one, you know. Uh, toys, you know, stuff, houses, like whatever. And we think that's what pleases God, but we really couldn't be uh, more wrong because we just don't quite get it. As Romans three ten through 11 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. We just can't comprehend these types of things on our own. So to think about what pleases God is not a natural thought process for us to kind of work through. That's a spiritual desire. That's a spirit-led thing to work through, a supernatural thing. And then to pursue that, to pursue what it means to please the Lord is a whole nother beautiful concept. So today we're going to look at these ideas of what brings God pleasure. Amen? So we'll pray and we'll get into Psalm chapter 147. Father, we again, Lord, we're humbled and we're thankful. We give you praise and honor and glory for just who you are. Lord, you are the great I am. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. And there is none like you, Lord. And we just thank you that you're in this place, that you are in the midst of your people, that you are being faithful to fill the hungry and thirsty hearts that are represented today. And Lord, I pray that you grow us up in maturing in who you are and, and what you desire and, and just what you're about, your character, Lord. Our hearts are here to be conformed into your image, to be sanctified into your image, Lord. I pray that you would transform our minds by the power of your spirit through your word, that our lives may be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll read through the whole psalm first, and then we will break it down. So Psalm 147, verses 1 through 20. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and, and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. <clears throat> Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts, down the, he casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beasts its food and to the young ravens that cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like mor morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. 
and for his judgments. They have not known them. Praise the Lord. Amen. Awesome. An awesome set of scripture with a lot we can pull out here. Um, But just reading that right there, we've all just been given revelation by the spirit of the Lord through his word into what brings him pleasure. Just by reading that, we get insight, revelation into what pleases the Lord. Just like that. And we're going to come back to that because I want to start with, with us. Right? I want to start with, with man and our understanding as we contrast these ideas of uh, what pleases man versus what pleases the Lord. So I looked up in Psychology Today on a few different articles. This was the best one I found. The top 10 pleasures among people. And these 10 were the top 10 most, um, like the, mo- the ones that repeated the most in different surveys that were given. So these are the top 10 most pleasing things among people. So we'll take a look at these. Number one, sex. Number two, watching a big game. Number three, fun times with friends. Number four, traveling. Number five, being productive. Number six, watching a movie. Number seven, hugging your children. Number eight, taking a good walk or drive. Number nine, eating a good meal. And number 10, reading a book. So these were the top 10 most pleasing things to people through different surveys, and they took out the top 10 most repeated ones. And that was awesome. That's a pretty cool list. Like, I feel like I can, you know, agree with that list. I'm kind of like a no-brainer. And I'm sure that most or all of us would agree with a lot of these things, if not all of these things bring us pleasure in our lives, right? Everybody loves a vacation. Everybody loves reading a book, a good meal, these types of things. Um, I made a list of my own top 10 pleasures as I kind of sat personally. So number one, doing absolutely anything with my wife. Uh, Number two, playing with my kids. Number three, worshiping the Lord. Number four, teaching God's word. Number five, fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Number six, fishing. Number seven, working out. Number eight, coaching my kids' sports teams. Number nine, watching sports. And number 10, watching any kind of zombie movie. Love it. So these are some of the top things that I take pleasure in. Right? I like these things. I like to sit down and do these things. I like to go out and do them. Um, and really, I'm a simple man, just like most men, I believe. Amen? We're pretty simple-minded. doesn't take too much to make us happy. But the unfortunate thing in life, believer or unbeliever, is most people in life relentlessly pursue this list. That's the hard part. Most people in life, unbeliever or believer, relentlessly pursue this list. They put all their effort into going after these things that bring them pleasure. The psychology today list, right? The sex, games, traveling, food, that's what people invest their time, money, talent, and treasure into going after. And they think that these things are going to bring them fulfillment. Fulfillment through the pleasures of the world that is, is passing away. And it's just not true, right? It's just not true. You're not going to find fulfillment in these types of things. That's not where it's at. Not saying you can't enjoy these things, but that's not the purpose of these gifts that God has given us. Proverbs twenty one seventeen says, He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. 
He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. And then um, Ecclesiastes 2 verses 4 through 11. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs to grow to water groves, to flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, here it is, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So the wisest man in history, King Solomon, realizes all these things that he pursued in his life, all this money, all this fame, all this wisdom, all this stuff, all these people, accolades, worthless. It, did, it didn't do it for him. It wasn't what it was about. And I'm not saying, again, we can't enjoy pleasurable things. Of course we can. Right? I got to go to the Rose Bowl and see my team play in one of the most unreal atmospheres I've ever been in my life. And that was very pleasing to me. I got to watch my NFL team in the same week play their first playoff game in over 30 years and win in the same week. Very pleasing to me. I've been in amazing shape physically before. I've had some awesome vacations in my life. I love to eat food, all the food. I've been to Michelin star restaurants with some clients that have blessed me. But I realize that none of these things are it. I'm not pursuing these things. These aren't the ends to the mean, right? These aren't things I'm after. They're just things that God blesses me with. They're not the goal. But again, we can appreciate and enjoy these things because they're awesome gifts from the Lord as every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's what the book of James says. However, again, as we spoke about maturing in the Lord uh, at the men's study and growing in Christ, These things that please our flesh, the things that our wicked hearts desires, that we're fooled into thinking they're going to do it for us, they they really become less and less important the more you there was a in Christ. Right? And and I I think I shared at the men's study, because there was a kind of an intense conversation going about this, and I I I keep a prayer journal, right? I've had prayer journal for ten years, and I have all my prayer journals in my room, and I'll go back and read from like eight years ago 
And I can see a drastic difference in how my mind thought, what I was praying for, what my focus was compared to now, and it's completely different. Very self, very material focus, very worldly, and now we'll say less, okay? Because that's the goal. Because those things mean less. And my heart's desire has changed. And that's what happens to us as we grow in the Lord. The things that please God, we begin to elevate and pursue and seek after. So that thing that, that pleased the amazing God we looked at last week, we get more insight into the psalm as it starts off, who our awesome God is. Um, again, in verse 1, it says, For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His, in, his understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sings to the, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. So, so more of God's character, more of God's nature that we looked at last week. We see more come out through his word this week. He builds up Jerusalem, gathers the outcasts, heals broken hearts, binds up wounds, mighty in power, lifts up the humble, prepares the rain, covers the mount. All of these things is who our God is and what he does. And then we'll jump down to verse 13 through 20 as we see, He has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders, fills you with the finest wheat, sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow to, like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out the hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes the wind to blow and the waters to flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. More. More of who God is. Again, as we've talked about many times during the book of Psalms, we need to learn who our God is. We need to learn what he's about. We need to learn what his nature is. Again, we see here strengthening the bars of our gates, blessing our children, um, the finest of wheat, give snow, frost, hail, all these wonderful things. The Lord does these things, mighty in power. Knowing who God is, growing in the understanding of who he is. Because as we begin to know the person of Christ better, our hearts begin to soften, our eyes begin to open, our ears begin to hear his voice. We see him for who he truly, truly is, high and lifted up, as we seek out who he is. And then our natural response is to no longer serve ourselves to the same capacity as we did. But to serve him and to serve those around us. And that's the example that Jesus gave us, is it not? 
to serve others and not to be served, as Matthew 28, or 20, verse 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what our life's going to look like as we grow closer to him. Maybe we'll start out all about ourselves, but as we grow in Christ, as we spend more time, as we get to know him, as we draw near, we'll start to have a heart for people. We'll start to want to serve people, right? And I, I, I think I've probably mentioned this a million times, but I will never forget the Yanyo retreat we had at Big Bear when I, I got to go with Brian um, and the whole group. And somebody was talking to Brian and they're like, wow, Brian, you're such a, such a great Christian. You're so gracious. You're so, you know, merciful. You like give your house and you're such a great guy. And, you know, everything Brian is because of the Lord. And he said, you know what? After 40 plus years of following the Lord, I would hope that's what I am by now. And I was like, wow, that's so true. Like after this amount of time, getting to know God, being in his presence, we should become more like him. We should be more gracious than we were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. We should be more patient than we were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's how this is supposed to go. So again, our hearts begin to align with his, our desires align with his, and we start to be led not into pleasing ourselves, but to seeking God, what pleases you? So let's see what God says about what is not pleasing to him. We'll start there. In verse 10, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. He, does, he takes no pleasure in the legs of man. So when we're thinking about knowing what pleases God, I think it's equally important to know what doesn't please him, what he's not about. Because again, as I said earlier in the study, we think what pleases us is what pleases him. And that's not necessarily the case. So God is not pleased, as we see here, with our strength. God is not pleased or interested in our strength. He's not interested or pleased with our wisdom, our ability, our effort, our understanding, our opinions, our schemes, what we have accomplished on our own, our credentials, where we've come from, where we are now. None of that pleases God. None of that impresses God. Really, everything that the world wants to lift us up for and put us on a pedestal and say, look at you, look what you've done, look at your, the work of your hands, look where you brought yourself from, look what you got yourself through. They want to applaud us for, give us accolades. God's not interested. That's not what pleases him. He does not delight or take pleasure in our ability, in our strength. Our, quote, track record. Right when I, when before I was a Christian, I was like super prideful in the fact that, you know, I would tell people, "Yeah, man, I moved here when I was 19 years old," and this is my little line: "I moved here at 19 years old with $100 in my bank account and two bags of clothes, and look where I am now." And I took pride in that. I thought it was like impressive. Now I was renting a house with a closet full of clothes, like big deal. But I thought it was impressive. People aren't impressed with that. God's not impressed with that. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like unclean, an unclean thing, and our righteousness are as filthy rags. 
We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's what our righteousness is. Our righteousness and our ability is, as God says, as filthy rags. Or as, you know, it's mentioned many times, uh, rags drenched in period blood. That's the original translation. That's what our righteousness is. The Bible says this about God and us. 1 Corinthians 1.25 For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God is not impressed with what we have to offer, guys. And I love that verse that contrasts like God's lowest, if he had a low, is still greater than our highest. Right? The smartest person, the most wise person in the world in history, King Solomon, is not even close to the Lord. The strongest person in history is not even close to the Lord. He does not need us, anyone or anything. Acts 17, 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And this is humbling, guys. This, this should humble us in the presence of our Lord, who we serve, who we chase after. It's funny because if we look at our lives, if we look at most Christians, if you look at me most of the time and our actions, right? What's our attitude as we go through life? Try harder. Do more. Be better. Suck it up. That's not what God's about. That's not, that's not it at all. God doesn't want us to just white-knuckle life and just try to push our way and bulldoze our way through our problems and our circumstances. He doesn't want us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, as it's said, to get up and dust yourself off and keep going. That's not it. He's not into us muscling our responsibilities into submission. What does he say? Again, and how often is this misquoted? I've heard this misquoted all the time. 2 Corinthians 2.9 My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, God's strength, right, which is stronger than our strongest, is made perfect in our weakness, right? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Whose strength's made perfect? No. That's not what it's saying. It's not our strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Very different. Not ours. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Not in our strength. Yet, for some reason, we continue, for some reason, to try to do things in our strength. And this is just me. I don't know about you guys. Maybe it's just me. I would just say this. I continue to try to do things in my strength. I continue to try to do things in my understanding, in my way, and figuring it out, and scheming, and you know, all these little things. In our abilities. 
overlooking the clear principles of being what the Bible calls us to be, broken, weak, vulnerable, humble. But we think that we're going to tough it out and push through, yet the Bible calls us to something drastically different. Right? Jesus spoke about it and he quoted it himself on Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. But nobody wants to be referred to as poor. Right? Nobody wants to be known as, as poor. We want to be rich. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. No, 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 I'm good. I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. Nothing, there's nothing wrong here. Yet Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I don't have a problem. There's no issue here, this area of my life. And opening of the prison to those who are, are bound. I can stop whenever I want. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. No, no, I'm cool. To console those who mourn in Zion and give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praises for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations, but yet we continue to act like we have it all together. When Jesus said himself, I've come for the people that don't have it all together. I'm here for the broken, the mourning, the weak, those that lives are in ruins. I want to rebuild them, but no, no, I'm cool. I don't want anybody to know what's really going on. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. Matthew twenty-one forty-four. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whomever it falls, it will grind him like powder. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah forty twenty-nine. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Isaiah 35, 3, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Job 4, 3, behold, you have admonished many, you have strengthened weak hands. No, my hands aren't weak. My knees are fine. My hands aren't feeble. I'm not brokenhearted. My spirit's fine. This is what, for some reason, we continue to try to put out and show to people and show to the world, but God's not fooled. And we wonder why Many of us are in the situation we find ourselves because we're really not being honest with the Lord. We're not being genuine and vulnerable and authentic and transparent as he's called us to be. Guys, we need to press into our poverty. We need to allow ourselves to be broken so we can be healed and restored. Press into our captivity so we can be liberated. Into our bonds so we can see the doors swing wide open. We need to mourn so we can be comforted and consoled. We need to press into our heaviness to receive the garment of praise. Admit we have feeble hands and weak knees so God can strengthen us. Don't resist the very thing that God's come to do in your life. 
And all of this is countercultural. This is not natural. This is not what we default to. It's absolutely radical. And honestly, it's, it's a little bit insane to admit these things. But it is what it is. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is what God has called us to. This is what God says about us. He said, be weak before the Lord so his strength can be made perfect. Because again, our strength and ability does not please him. And we see that in Matthew 7, through 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not about any of that. Right? And I was, I mean, so, I, I like kind of like talk to my son about the study on the way here, you know, kind of bounce ideas off of him. And I'm like, no, you ever heard this section? You know, many will say to you in the day, he's like, wow, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, because they didn't know Jesus. He's like, what do you mean they didn't know Jesus? I'm like, he's like, well, they're doing all these things for him. I'm like, yeah. Doesn't mean you know him. Personally, he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, who's your favorite baseball player? He's like, you know, of course, Shohei Otani. I'm like, okay, so what do you know about Otani? Well, he plays for the Dodgers. I'm like, yeah, what position? Well, he's a pitcher and a hitter. Uh huh. Where's he from? He's from Japan. Where did he play for the Dodgers? The Angels? Yeah, good. I'm like, do you think if you went to Otani's house and were like, hey, Otani, it's me, Noah, what's up? Can I come in? You think he's going to let you in? He's like, no. I'm like, why? He's like, well, because he doesn't know me. Exactly. But you can say, Otani, I know you're from Japan. I, I watch all your games. I bought your jersey. I have a baseball card. I have your Japanese jersey from when you played in the World Baseball Classic. I have a tattoo on my arm. He was like, bro, I don't know you. You can't come in. That's the same thing with Jesus. He's not impressed with the things that we do to try to earn our way in the same way. It's just, it's not about any of that. It's about knowing him. Right? Because if any of you came to my house... Oh, what's up, Michael? Come on in, man. Oh, Mike, you know, John, oh, Michelle, come in. Brian, Lorena, Daniel. You know, it's different because we know each other personally. Luckily, we see what does please him. In verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. It pleases God when we fear him and when we hope in him. He's pleased. When we take him at his word in our hearts and move with godly fear into what he has called us into, regardless of how it works and how it looks, regardless of how we think it may turn out, regardless of the opinions of people around us, we have to have faith, faith in him who he truly is. We have to believe in him. Right? And not just believe in him, but we have to believe him. We have to believe what he says. So, who is he? Right? And I could tell you, I can come up here again and tell you who God is. 
right? I mean, heck, we've been basically learning who God is for the last three years through this book. But we can all do one better because the Lord wants to show us all who he is. We have the Lord who wants to reveal through this book to us personally who he is. So I could sit here and tell you, I could give you a list, I could give you applications, I can give you all these wonderful things that the Lord's given me the gift to be able to teach and all that. Or you could learn from him who he is through his word as he wants to speak to you. And we should all embark on our personal journey and relationship with him by faith. You know, and I think Michael was talking on, on Proverbs 10 about Lot. And I think Michael said, you know, there's no account of Lot's like faith or faithfulness in the Old Testament. Yet he's referred to as, is it righteous Lot in the New Testament? He's like, but there's no, there's no record of anything he ever really did for God in the Old Testament. But he's referred to righteous Lot. And then I was kind of sitting with that. I don't know why it popped into my head on Mondays. I was going through this and I text Michael or I called him. I said, you know, there is an account of something he did. And I said, when God said, don't look back at the city, he didn't look back. He took him at his word. And my heart is that was God was pleased with Lot in that moment. Because his wife looked back. His wife turned salt. But there's that lit, like, it wasn't, I get ministered to me. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like, that little bit of obedience, Lot, don't look back. And he didn't. And I thought that was beautiful. Like, Lord, even that little thing that probably all of us would miss, Lord, you saw that. And you accounted that him for righteousness because he believed what you said. He took faith in you in what you called him to do. And that's just how good our God is. Despite all the wrong decisions he made in his life like for me I was like wow that one thing God's like yeah there he is it's pretty cool so that is what will please God seeking him by faith serving him by faith trusting him by faith loving people by faith Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So guys, let's spend the rest of our lives diligently seeking him. Let's spend the rest of our lives serving him by faith, growing in who he is, being sanctified to his image, and desiring to please our king. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we again thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you again, as Pastor John even said, Lord, just the beautiful simplicity of salvation and the work of the cross and by faith through grace. Lord, by placing our trust and our faith in you, we are saved. By desiring to know you, desiring to be changed, repenting of our sins, Lord, moving in your direction, even if it takes us our whole lives, Lord, to move in your direction. You just want us to come to you. 
You just want us to seek your face. You just want to spend time with us, Lord. And that's what pleases you. And Lord, through that desire in our lives to please you, Lord, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. There will be works. There will be a faith that works, Lord. So may we not also be passive in our faith. May we, we not allow this life to pass us by as there are works that you have prepared for us to do. There are things that you've called us to be a part of, Lord. And through that faith, through that diligence and seeking you, Lord, may you reveal to us where you've called us to be. May you make it known. But may we simply be satisfied in your presence as we desire to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.